once that hit. <laughs> it's so good. It's like a drug. You just need more. Hey everybody, welcome back to Art Smack. I'm your host, Matt Capasso, and I'm here with... Jared Gagosian. Jared, did you like that cold open this week? Thanks a lot for violating my sacred time <laughs> to dance to the white lotus theme song i was secretly recording her as i was blasting it so embarrassing guys we've got a great show for you this week jerry and i are going to talk about the trump nft project we're going to hit on the burns halpern report so we'll get into more of what that is later and we'll wrap up with a discussion around the future of art media buckle up boys and girls it's gonna be a bumpy ride welcome back to art smack First story on the docket this week, Donald J. Trump is back. And this time he's slaying Ethereum on the blockchain. So Jerry, did you see the Trump NFT collection that was announced? Yes, I did. He so, he looks amazing as a firefighter, a <laughs> baseball player. A... So former <laughs> President Donald Trump teased a big announcement earlier in the week and people were speculating. I was speculating. Is he going to announce that Ron DeSantis is joining his presidential ticket? There were rumors that he was going to make a bid for Speaker of the House, which I don't even know how that would work. But no, Trump had something even bigger than both of those things, that he's dropping 45,000 NFTs. He called them trading cards, which I think is a very interesting way to, to phrase his NFT collection. Well, for his base, it's easier to understand. <laughs> so the lucky minters, aka buyers of these one-of-the-kind images of Donald Trump, honestly, badly photoshopped on stock images of NASCAR drivers and firemen and policemen. They're so funny. Have you seen them? Yeah. Like, they're <laughs> these are these are images that make crypto punks look like Peter Paul Rubens paintings. I mean, they are ghastly. Also, like, okay, if you've seen them, a lot of them are of like jacked men with like 12 packs. And I always think of this because I've seen a lot of Donald Trump art since Donald Trump has like been, you know, elevated to El Presidente. I can assure you that Donald Trump has never in his fatso life ever had anything close to any kind of pack in his life. He's always been a hefty man. And like, what is this fantasy about putting his big fat head on like a, a fit man it's so bizarre it's it is so, so weird so so the nft collection so he dropped forty-five thousand of these images which another very interesting part is that there have been reports now because thirteen thousand users bought them which mm. first off means people are buying more than one which is hilarious they were listed for 99 us dollars they all sold out Thirteen thousand people bought them but some people who bought them went on twitter to complain that the images that they received still have the watermarks from the stock 
photos that they were taking of. Because again, these are like stock photos of firemen that are jacked with Donald Trump's face photoshopped on. And some people went Amazing. on to complain that they still have the stock images. Um, the company selling the cards, the NFTs, is not like Trump Inc., but a company called NFT INT. The Trump people entered into a licensing agreement, just like he licenses his stakes or his universities or whatever the fuck weird thing he's selling, um, with a company called NFT INT. A, a reporter on Substack named Kurt Eichenwald did an analysis, a deep dive into this company, NFT Inc., um, and discovered that they're headquartered firstly in a UPS store in Utah, is where their mailing address was. And then digging deeper, their official corporate address was NA. And I showed Jerry the, the photo yesterday. A haunted said, house. It literally is a like 2,800 square foot brick residential house in Montana. No, in Wyoming. That is, quote, known for being the home of Shady Shell Corporation. So I really just want to congratulate everybody for the, the lucky ones that got the Trump NFT cards. Apparently, they're trading higher than what people bought them for. So maybe we have, we're the idiots, but... Jerry, my question to you, is this the end of the NFT? Have we reached the finale of this nightmare? I mean, Trump's put his swag on it now. So, if, I mean, it's tainted with Trump. If, if you go near it, you've got the Trump disease. You're just following it's disgusting. DT after this. It's like, ew, Trump's done it. It's, it's so tainted, period, with like, the FTX crypto exchange collapse and like finance might collapse. Aren't like all these celebrities getting sued right now because they were like backing the bored ape yacht? The lawsuit was, so you you kind of teased it, like the, the firm, the company behind Board Ape Yacht Club yeah. is a company called Yuga Labs, which also owns... The CryptoPunks, mm -hmm. and I think one other one, but CryptoPunks and Bored Apes, this is like the biggest NFT collections. Um, there was a lawsuit, some sort of clash action that some purchasers of these things filed against Yuga Labs and also listed the celebrity names that endorsed CryptoPunks, Bored Apes during the peak uh, as, I guess, culpable in sort of a fraud, like yeah. a little pump scheme. So. The celebrities, some pretty big names here. Justin Bieber, Serena Williams, Madonna, Gwyneth Paltrow. The plaintiffs filed this in California, complaining that there was basically like false marketing and that they were promoting and selling some sort of like kind of fraudulent stuff and that the celebrities are somehow culpable in it. So like this is adding to the cacophony of noise, like you said, of FTX, Binance, Yuga Labs getting sued, DT pumping out an nft collection where it's just like have we had enough yet have people have we unveiled this thing for what it was it's just a speculative i mean i i we hate talking about it yeah like you kind of have to i'm gonna go back to something because i don't think i've fully discussed this in public but i worked on this project with spike magazine mm -hmm. where i was asked to illustrate in like meme language this glossary for like web 3.0 and i was doing all these different things like what is a dao what is an nft what are all these different things and i was trying to illustrate it in mimetic language right so 
this little extra thing. And so they published it in their magazine. And then they came back to me and asked me if I wanted to do an NFT project out of it. And I hemmed and hawed over it for a while. This is like what year period kind of, because I think that's important to know. Um, 2021, probably early. Uh, yeah, last year, I remember I was sitting in your apartment. Okay, so second half of 2021. Yeah. Probably the crash hadn't happened yet. It no. was still like, you know, people were doing but it. I remember that I had this like hardcore, I, I, I didn't think I was going to make money from it. So it wasn't a money thing. Because mm. I had already like interviewed the Winklevoss twins way before in like 2020 early, like January, February about NFTs. And I had already kind of not believed in it then. Like I, I came at it fully from an art perspective, but then I really went and deep dove into it, went into all these clubhouses and listened like everybody did. I, I gave it my attention. And I think that I'm intelligent enough to like understand something when I give it my attention. And I even illustrated this, you know, <laughs> glossary they asked me if I wanted to NFT this thing. And I think that they felt really betrayed because after mulling it over, I was like, I, can, I can't in good conscience. And I just kind of withdrew. I kind of snapped at them. I said, I can't. Yeah. And they were like, what? And like, they were kind of like shocked by it because I really don't believe in it. And I was like kind of adamant about it that it's like, just it's not something that I believe in I think it's and they were like why and I was like because I think it's a scam I don't I don't I think it's a it's a scammy speculative like marketplace yucky you've, you've used the phrase Ponzi it's a Ponzi there, scheme which is ironic because in the wake of this FTX crypto collapse thing I was scrolling through Twitter kind of following it and <laughs> an actor named Ben McKenzie who was, uh, you probably know him from the show, The O.C. He was the original O.C. Yeah. guy. He was testifying in front of Congress. Apparently this guy does some work in the space and he used the phrase, quote, crypto is the largest Ponzi scheme in history. So it's funny, like that, that terminology came up. It again. is a Ponzi scheme. It I was cannot find another language for it. It, like, was a big, it was a big money grab and I think mm -hmm. Caught up in the excess era of, of we, we talk about it, we don't get too in depth of just cash everywhere, you know, speculative bubbles popping up all over the place. Mm -hmm. And people got a little loosey goosey. And just so happens that all of that mix met up with this new novelty technology thing and they married together to form what I think, yeah, we'll look back on as being a, a massive. People scheme. were home, people were bored, yeah. people were anxious, and people were gambling. Yeah, and it, it just crescendoed into into Donnie Trump coming out with the hottest NFT of December 2022. And he maybe maybe it was like a necessary evil for him to pop that bubble. I wonder why. Like, does he really need? Okay, apparently this raised 4.5 million dollars. Does he really need for? Like, does he really need that? He can't go to some shadowy like CPAC or super PAC room in some weird state and like beg people for that money. I don't know. It was really bizarre. And the fact that this NFT Inc. company is dubious at best, fraudulent at worst, involved as, as much as they are, it's crazy. I think we both hope that these kind of projects will stop 
I think celebrities probably also need to take stock about what they're promoting to their audience. Well, they're shameless. I mean, I think that was the other thing about why I couldn't. Sorry, I'm going to talk about myself a little more. Yeah. Like when I was asked to do that project and I had to ask myself, why do I want to do this? Like so that I can because I respect Spike magazine, right? I think they're very cool. Like we'll put that stamp on them. They're cool. They're like the coolest art magazine in Berlin. Mm. I still think that. Of course, I want to be involved with them. And if they're asking me to do an NFT project, it must be good, right? But I personally don't believe in NFTs. I think they're a Ponzi scheme. So if I'm going to go in against my own integrity just so I can get a stamp on myself that I did an NFT thing with a magazine that I think is cool, where's my integrity? Like, it's gone. I had to, like, stick up for something that I believe in and i looked fucking weird i look like a weirdo and i don't think they like me anymore because i didn't explain myself i was the weirdo that ran out of the room and i could i couldn't explain myself i was just like no because I, I had gone so far with them i i went so far as to illustrate a glossary right. and then i was like no 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 i can't do this you explained yourself now hope they're listening i wanted to ask why do you think so many celebrities jumped on that bandwagon and changed their profile pictures to these things and promoted them and became spokespersons. Do you think it was purely just a money grab for them? Because I can imagine guys like Justin Bieber, you know, a few million dollars from some NFT project doesn't move the needle for someone like that. Like, I have to think that there's something deeper, some other connection that they wanted to have with this stuff. Like, why do, well, what do you think that is? out of all the names that you listed, the first thing that came to mind is the first thing. Gwyneth Paltrow, Justin Bieber, even Serena Williams, there's a competitive nature to all of their personalities. It's a, I'm so cool, I'm so athletic, I'm so whatever, I get to everything first. Mm -hmm. I know about the cool thing or the best thing or the most technological thing or the thing that's gonna make you rich, I'm always there first. And isn't that what everybody thought an NFT was a vehicle for? like to get you rich and in the know first. That's literally what everybody thought. And, and it was so, it was like the emperor's new clothes because everyone's like, oh, if you don't know, if you're not buying it there first and then flipping it and doing this and that, you're stupid. And that's how everyone treated you. Yeah. And now it's like. Now it's a car crash. Now if you're not first, you're Donald Trump. So this week, a report came out by two journalists, one named Charlotte Burns and the other Julia Halperin. Charlotte is an independent journalist who has her own platform called Studio Burns. And Julia is the executive editor at Artnet. So these two did this big data-driven project where they took a look at gender and racial representation in museums and in the art market through auctions and through gallery sales. These guys have been putting out this report since 2018, and it's titled The Burns-Halperin Report. So they took data from 2008 to 2022 and took a look at Black artists and female artists, their representation in things like museum acquisitions, auction sales, gallery sales, et cetera. Jerry, you want to speculate about what their findings came up with? Women and people of color are vastly underrepresented. Oh, well, you'd be right. So <laughs> the data, I'll, I don't want to make this too numbersy because I don't want you guys to get lost in the sauce, but 
Two percent of acquisitions in U.S. museums were by black artists. Eleven percent by female artists. That's since '08. At auction, black artists make up 1.9% of auction sales. Female artists make up 3.3% of sales. Pablo Picasso alone sells more than all women. Uh, Beeple sells more than 50% of black female painters. Just Beeple alone, who has been at the auction market for like one one sale, like one time, maybe like two times. <sighs> oh so there's a lot more like findings within this report. But I just wanted to get your kind of high-level thoughts. Are you surprised? Let's start there. No, I'm not surprised. Um, I think there are better concerted efforts being made to support Black artists, and there are better concerted efforts to support female artists. I mean, I'm witnessing it in my lifetime. Not necessarily for me, but... <laughs> for other artists, um, but we'll say that this support will reverberate into the future. Mm -hmm. And maybe we won't see them now in auction reports and stuff, but history will will tell these stories, you know? Yeah. Right now, maybe we don't feel them, but support will be felt in the way that art history is told in the future. Yeah, I think I'll elaborate on that because I, I landed at the same thing, right? When you see these numbers, I think they're jarring. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the biggest telling signs is that, just looking at female artists, for example, I'll just focus on that, right? In the world, women make up whatever, 50% of the global population. There are some reports that women make up roughly that amount of of artists, right? So like, I think something in the high 40s of artists working today are, are, are women. Okay, so if 11% of museum acquisitions are happening for women, there's clearly a mismatch there, right? The same thing goes for, for black painters and black artists. Like they're, they're not being represented in sales and acquisitions based on their population, their concentration within the pool of artists. But on your point about, about history, I think what we're looking at with these figures and numbers is that they are remnants of not the 21st century, not the last 14 years of when this analysis was done, but of the 20th century mm -hmm. and the lingering effects of that. The big names from modernism to abex, sorry, they're white males. That's, that's who was defined canonically within art history. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's fully accurate at all, right? Mm -hmm. And I think every day we're discovering new names, new voices within art history, and they're being rediscovered and recontextualized as being like like Hilmoff Clint. Right. Um, yeah, Jacob I totally Lawrence, agree. Like these painters are discovered, artists are discovered that actually, no, they, they mattered a lot more in their time. They got no due then. But these auction reports, you're still seeing the remnants of the canonical focus of those artists from history. Mm -hmm. So a Jackson Pollock comes to auction and sells for $60 million. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously going to skew the data. But like you said, I think there is good work being done on the ground that when we look back in the year, let's say 2050, mm -hmm. we're going to see, okay, maybe the data will actually change because in the history of art, we will, we will put more emphasis on female and artists mm -hmm. of color. Oh, for sure. I think it was when, I know, I know it was when Barack Obama was president, he said something like, I know it's a hard time to look at the news and it seems scary to be alive, but statistically, there's never been a better time to be alive. 
And like, it may seem awful sometimes to read the news and look at like the this report, but statistically, there's never been a better time to be an artist. Like, there's so many, so much opportunity, and so many ways to like make a career happen for yourself, no matter who you are. And I'm not just being like a rainbows and butterfly type of person. And also, the truth of the matter is, is we don't really know how the future will judge us. The future will decide how the future will judge us. And, you know, Matt, you might be the voice that the future decides to take. Oh, my God. To take. No, it really. I'm, I'm sorry, future. <laughs> and they might say, oh, you know, shrill. Jerry had a very shrill voice, but we enjoyed Matt's <laughs> voice, you know? Well. But this is true. We, you don't know. You You don't know. You can say like, oh, well, you know, this artist in this corner, we had all these essays written about them and we placed this artist's work in all these important fancy houses. But guess what? World War 14 happened and all those fancy houses got bombed and all that work got burned away and nobody cares about those essays anymore. But somehow we found this bunker where artist X's trove of work that nobody ever cared about in their lifetime survived. And we just found all of these essays that they sketched on their 12 MacBook Pros that, it, with all of the existing plugs that still exist and we can turn it on. And, and there we go. We just found a whole canon of work and we decide this was the voice from 2020. Like, you, we don't know how the future will judge what the past was. We really don't know. So I, you know, I, I don't like to think too much about the future. Like we just have the possibility of being good artists now and yeah. having integrity. Look, I think, I don't mean to sound like, you know, we've resolved all these issues that, that Julie and Charlotte are talking about. Yeah. Like, there's more work to be done today. For sure. But what, what we can say is we can take stock about the progress that was made. I mean, uh, we're not going backwards. And the data shows that. These numbers have improved. Maybe they haven't improved to the point where there's parity or there are where we would like them to be. But we're doing good work. The work needs to keep going. I want to, I think I want to parse out the auction and sales side of the report to the museum acquisition side. I have to imagine based on the data that I, I reviewed here, is that on the auction side, we will see progress fast. I do think those numbers will start to shift. We will see more representation in auction sales. Um, but my question is really, and I'm, I'm struggling to understand really what's going on or how the museum boards are operating. You know, How are they coming to this decision about what to acquire? How are they only choosing 11% female acquisitions? Um, what do you think go is going on within like the kind of the boards of the museums where these numbers aren't where they need to be? Okay. I really think, and if you're on a museum board and you want to fight me on this, let's go. But as far as I know, museum boards are very fancy collecting clubs. They're like voted in collecting clubs. They're keeping up with the Joneses, who's richer than who, who has more pull than who, who can get what, who can donate what, and who can stunt on who bigger by donating more of what. And I think when it comes to 
what gets into a museum. It's about how rich of a museum you can have, right? And for these people, I think it's like, well, you want to have a Picasso in your collection, right? You want to have a Richter in your collection, don't you? You want to have a Pollock, don't you? Like, it would be such a shame if, like, you weren't giving your peasants of your gentry a proper, nutritious art education. You don't just want to give them local, parochial female artists, do you? You want to give them high art. So you want to give the the people a Picasso. And then also it's art hoarding. It's like a way to hoard very expensive stuff. And there's also high conspiracies about being able to write off a lot of these things. Like I've, I've heard a lot about inheritance laws and like how awful it is to inherit things like Picasso because of the taxes that you have to pay. So it's much better to donate something like a Picasso because of the financial situation that you'd be in. It's an interesting point. I mean, so my understanding, I'm not a, I'm not a CPA, but like if you have a painting and you donate it to a nonprofit, a 501c3, you are able to write off 100%, 100% of that value on your taxes, mm-hmm. right? So if a 20th century Abex painting by Jackson Pollock is available to you to donate, the tax benefits for that, as you can see, the incentive is there for someone to choose that over maybe, let's say, a contemporary painting by a black artist that's worth, according to the appraisals people, because that's usually the arbiter of this, you know, 100 grand, 200 grand, et cetera. So you can see mm-hmm. for one painting, there's massive financial benefit to donate that. So maybe that's why museums yeah. are taking them in, because oftentimes these collectors are on the board, right? Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, some Charlotte and Julia go into a little bit on museum representation on the boards, which funny enough, women have roughly 50% of board seats Mm -hmm. as well. So there's an interesting dynamic too. Uh, Museum acquisitions, I'm curious to get your thought on this as because you are are not a figurative painter. There is a obvious, and this is not surprising, a disparity in painting versus other media forms. So works by female painters or artists of color, black artists in museums, they're paintings. Mm-hmm. It's basically it. I mean, the data is showing there are some, but most of it is paintings. It's not other forms of art. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you got to be in these museums, you got to paint only. Yeah. And there's a disparity between that and media, video art, performance art, some types of mixed media stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Moving forward... I think a lot of these things are improving. So I definitely want to say that. There's still work to be done, but we are making improvements. I think another takeaway for me is that we need more reports like this. So I want to give a shout out to Charlotte and Julia for some actual good goddamn journalism and analysis that they put together here. Yeah, I it it kind of makes me sad, to be honest. But it also, I've talked to Charlotte about it in the past when her other reports come out. And I've made memes about them, too, in the past. And people that haven't read her reports have been like, why are you popping off about, like, female disparity in museums? And I'm like, have you read this report? It's so infuriating. 
And then people like go and read it and they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, (laughs) because it, you know, really makes me upset. It just is the truth. So I'm glad that she's called attention to it. And as I said before, I just think like as much as it makes me angry at the end of the day, the end, end, end of the day, my job is to be an artist and have integrity and make good work. And history will judge that. That's the end of the day. So last topic of discussion on this week's episode is the state of art media. Ooh. A company called Book Forum, owned by Art Forum, closed. It closed its doors this month because of financial trouble, And all I saw was Instagram posts and some tweets and people being sad about it. But then it got me thinking broadly because Art Forum was acquired by Penske Media. Do people care about art media? I think that art media is basically just awards and ribbons and fake news for the most part. There's like no, not a lot of criticism. It's not real, most of it. It's usually bought and paid for. And I don't think that people spend a lot of time reading it or reading into it. It's mainly for like headline browsing and like name dropping and perusing like the first sentence or two. It's not like, yeah, it's very, very shallow. It's not like anything deep. It's very good for listicles. Listicles, I'd say from my experience, right? When I was at Christie's, I felt obligated to stay abreast about things that were happening. And I would have a morning news diet of New York Times, Journal, Financial Times, Breitbart. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Artnet, art newspaper. I would just, I would see what was going on. I felt like obligated. But now that I've stepped away from that level of, of art market professionalism, like I go there and you start to realize how addy, how bought and paid a lot of the stuff really is. Like I, I was just on Artnet, sorry. And I was scrolling through and they do have some real articles. Like they have a paywall and they put investigative pieces. They That's where they release what we just talked about, the the Charlotte the Burns Halpern report on. And that was mm-hmm. something that they reported on. But then like the third article is a bought and paid for gallery advertisement that's masquerading as a news story it's it's that should be so illegal it's a native (laughs) advertising right it's like in partnership with and like Mm -hmm. that's coded language for hey we just opened up our real estate space it's like you and i joke about this all the time forbes or rolling stone or even business insider sometimes for whatever reason google news or apple news will push you an article that's like it's purely an advertisement. Whoever, whoever, like the topic of that news article bought, paid, and wrote for that thing to be published on this platform. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I mean, think about Art Forum, right? Art Forum was mostly ads. Mostly ads, right? Like, yeah. And I think that I, it, to me, I guess like the warrior in me was like, this isn't right. Like we got to have like good art journalism. But then I thought like, who gives, does the people give a shit? Like, am I just like screaming into the void and no one else is clamoring for this and people are fine just to have the occasional headlines and they don't really care about good art news. I mean, 
in my like waking consciousness, I can't remember anything like phenomenal ever coming out of like something that was printed tangibly in art forum. <laughs> I, I Sorry, actually something was written about my art gallery when I did you pay for it? No. <laughs> um, but it was just an online thing, and it was it was like relatively short, and I think it went very missed by everyone except for me and the two artists who who it was about, and like our little inner circle who like greatly celebrated the fact that Art Forum like caught our show. But besides that, it was like no one really cared. Yeah. I think like, do you read like Kelly Crow from Wall Street Journal? Mm -hmm. Kelly is a writer for the Wall Street Journal yeah. that covers the. She art wrote about world. me in the Wall Street Journal. She wrote about. She did your profile. Yeah. If you haven't seen that, you should check it out. It's a it's a great piece on Jerry. So, I do find her voice interesting, and I follow her on Twitter. And then when she doesn't, she's not a daily person in the journal. She might write once a week or mm -hmm. you know infrequently. But when she does, I give it a read. Right. Same thing in the New York Times. Like there's a couple journalists in the New York Times that write about art that I'll go and check out, but they're not in the daily grind cycle business, which I feel like is there, I, I there's think, probably not enough to write about in the art world to do a daily grind. It is a niche thing. Right? Yeah. And I think people try to. And that's where you get like articles that are just these listicles or this is the heavy reliance on advertisements because maybe there isn't enough to talk about no which is why we don't have a daily podcast which is why we have a weekly podcast yeah and well i mean you could talk shit every day you could talk shit every day <laughs> but you can't inform or educate people about the art world on a daily basis i feel like the model doesn't work in that regard yeah like it's it's too it's cerebral it's not fast twitch there isn't this everyday moving thing there's there's it rolls like a hill or there's there's times of the year like there's stories around our basel or around mm -hmm. art auctions or the biennale like there's a spike in interest but the daily stuff it's i felt obligated to read about it i don't anymore i try to really keep my diet more tight there's been times where i keep up with it like it's a sport and there's times when i really enjoy it um, and then there's times when I sort of intuitively pull back from it. Like right now I'm in a phase where I don't know why I just can't look. I don't know why. What do you feel like if I were to, if I were to like whip out an article right now and start to read, do you, you get like cringy? It's like or? an allergic feeling. It's like an allergic yeah. reaction. No, it really is. And I, I've, I go through spikes of this. It's sort of like. If you were in a religion and then you go through periods where you don't want to be religious, I don't want to do it every day all the time. It's like, why do I have to? And it's like, I don't have to. Like, sometimes I just want to take a break. And I feel like I'm, I'm an American, <laughs> you know, like I don't have to. Sometimes I just want to like breathe the air and just be a human and not like identify as somebody who's a female artist in the art world and and be comparing myself and measuring myself and thinking about what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. And I think media is this tool for like constantly creating FOMO. So sometimes I just want to chill, you know, and I also don't want to, 
I sometimes I just want to retain my own good ideas for myself and I don't want to spoil them by like mixing them with other people's ideas. I heard this this good thought the other day. I don't know, some anecdote. It was this guy, he said, do you want to know how to ruin a good idea? Take your idea and go ask everybody else what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that is so true. And I, I, so I'm just in this period of like incubating some ideas and I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to share my ideas and I also don't want to look at other ideas. And be tainted by them. Yeah. 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 And so the, I go through periods where like with media, with other social media with all of it where I just I pull back and it's sort of like a phase of not being social for me. Do you think if the the daily news media, if you had something that was really high quality, that wasn't addy and wasn't listicle-y, that you would re-engage, you'd feel less, you'd feel more comfortable re-engaging? Like more nourishing? More nourishing, um, yeah. Do you think there's a dearth of that, a lack of it in the art media space. I don't know. Sometimes I like garbagey things when my brain, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I can. Yeah, confess. you picked up Us Weekly at the supermarket yeah, the other day. I no, was like, 100%. Oh, don't you know? Yeah, you should know this about me by now. I love, I can confess this. I love celebrity gossip. Like, I love it. I love delisted.com. I love like g- gossip magazines because. When I get to the end of like a day of writing or a day of thinking or working or making things, my brain gets so burnt out that the only thing that I can do is like masticate on bullshit. I would judge you, although I just crushed the latest season of uh, Too Hot to Handle. Yeah, you did. Is that what the show is called? Is it Too Hot to Handle? It's where like some like reality TV. But yeah, anyway, so I don't know about art media. To be honest, like, I think that, like, reading deep art criticism, I mean, I'm going to sound really hypocritical because I write about art, right? I write about the art world. I write about But you're not hammering work. every day with these listicle, no. like, rat racy stuff, you know? No. You're, you're taking helicopter views and you're analyzing yeah. and having deep thought. Well, let me ask you this. Do you feel, so you have a voice and you have a platform. Mm-hmm. Where you could, you, one could make a credible argument that you are a member of like art media in some mm-hmm. way. And I've heard people tell me this that like they look at your Instagram, and not that this is a place to laugh, but a place to learn and be informed. And a lot of your memes are about cutting edge topics, and it causes people to think, like, what is she talking about? And then they learn the stories behind which, like, remember we did like the LGDR thing? Yeah. And that was, that was, we, we, <laughs> a meme about LGDR. Diagram the whole LGDR. Right, but that was a news story. It was like they yeah. were forming this company and you were writing and you were coming up with this idea about what the news story was saying, but in this funny language. And like people learned about this conglomeration that was formed oh through God. your meme. And I think you do that more often than you think. Right. Like a lot of your memes are informational. Do you feel like you should be doing more of that kind of stuff? Do you feel like there's a void for you to fill with your content, with your writing? I'm happy when I can provide that for people and I wish I could do it for them more. Um, It's tough though. It's tough to do that grind, you know? It's not that it's tough. It's just that personally, I don't feel responsible to anybody Mm -hmm. for that. See, this is what's fucked up about relying on an artist (laughs) is that when I want to do it, I do it. And when I don't want to do it, I don't do it. 
Like, I I don't feel any obligation to the viewer. <laughs> you know, I'm like, when I'm in a good mood, I'll make 10. And when I'm in, you know, sometimes I have fr friends that are like, don't you ever want to like hold back and then like put them out, you know, a little bit at a time? No. So, no, when I'm in a mood, I'll sit there for an hour and make 10 and then I won't make them for a week. I've you know? seen you where, where I think I've, I've even, I think when I was first getting to know you, I was like, do you like hold them back? Do you yeah. keep some so you can have like a steady flow of content? And you're like, now it's in the head, it's in the phone and it's pushed to send. It's yeah. <laughs> and I remember being like, oh, you're like, yeah, if, if I'm, if I'm feeling it, I go, I never stop. Yeah. It just goes out. Yeah. And because it's like a mood that I'm in. Yeah, you, 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 and you can't, you can't, you can systemize that. You can't institutionalize no. it. That's the artist in you. And then if I'm not in the mood, I just don't do it. Yeah. So I'm sorry for you guys if you're depending on news all the time. <laughs> but I think for those that are depending on news, I want to put the call out. I think our industry needs more independent voices that don't have biases or don't have these alliances, let's say, to some people in the art market. So they write stories in a certain tone or they avoid certain difficult conversations. I think we need more independent guys. And this mirrors, by the way, what's happening in mainstream media. I yeah. think since for the last I, I, decade or more, there's been a growing mistrust of centralized sources of media and the rise of the independent journalism through podcasts, through substacks, through certain Twitter feeds. And the data is showing that consumers of news sometimes trust those individual mm -hmm. contributors more than the mainstream institutions that have been around for hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, I'll leave it at that. But I'll just say, like, I think our industry lacks a lot of those types of voices. Mm -hmm. People who, who pretend to be those types of voices are typically like writing um, in institutional yeah. media stuff. Well, right? even me, wait, I, I, we can't leave it at that yet. Right. Because even me, the other day, I got a very offensive text from an old friend. I don't know, even know if he's a friend anymore, to be honest. And he said, uh, hey, what's up? I was just listening to your rated G podcast. Right. And I was like, okay, did you like, you know, did you like it? Fuck, shit, cock, balls. <laughs> no longer G rated. Yeah. But I, you know, I was like, okay. And I thought about it and I was like, well, yeah, okay. I don't go on the podcast and like torpedo people and name names and like destroy people's careers and fuck people over. I could. I don't read my inbox. I don't do that kind of stuff because usually I think the art world is small enough that people, people know who I'm talking about. First of all, second of all, like that's not my job. My job is not I'm not a pol I'm not the art world police. I'm not a, the art world lawyer. Like I'm here to have a good time too. I'm an artist, you know. I'm also not a full-time activist. I'm just an artist. I'm here to have a conversation, you know. And it's so interesting how this person like tackled me with this like accusation of being rated g how do you how do you be honest and tell the truth and occupy this space and write about it and have integrity and also not like hurt people it's very hard i think i would i would frame it as this when when you and i are going through 
topics and we see something, we learned about something, let's say, not from public sources, but we learned about some activity, maybe nefarious that we've seen. What, what we don't do is we don't launch the gossip mic and go, John Smith did X, Y, and Z. What we try to do is take that thing and up-level it into a behavior, a pattern of behavior that mm -hmm. we're seeing and trying to make more than it than just attacking one person. That's not the kind of journalism for even doing journalism. Uh, you know, have a conversations. But like, there's some, that's not, we don't want to do that. We will disinfect that thing with light about the activity. Leave it to someone else to do the hard, like, you know, blowing up this person's life. Because at the end of the day, that is a person. What I... Not seeing from mainstream sources is they're not even disinfecting the thing with light. Yeah. They would just avoid that person because they don't want to piss off that person. At least you and I, I'd like to think that we say, okay, that's a bad behavior. This is what's happening. This is why someone would do this. And maybe we might even hint as to like where people should be looking for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been our approach. But like I said, I'll, I'll wrap up. Is that the mainstream, they don't, they just turn the blind eye to the entire thing. Yeah. And I think that's why people are coming. But that's like, why it's not news. That's why people don't, people only look at it as ribbons. They look at it as accolades, awards, as like, oh, look, they mentioned my name. It's like the, what is it? Like the socialite newspapers, like Miss Ellie Mae stepped out in her purple and pink uh. dress <laughs> with, with Mr. Tom Ford for a date night and a promenade around the park on May 4th. Like that is literally all that art, like art news, no offense to art news, but like that's all that art media, that's like what art media is. Like read it like that. That's all that it is. It's not serious. All right, Jerry, so that wraps up this episode. What do you say? Thank you for returning from descending from your throne to talk to mere mortals like me. I do appreciate it. Oh, it has been my absolute Pleasure, mortal. It's plug time. So what do you got for us, Jerry? Well, please make sure that you subscribe at gagosian.com and become a member, either premium or VIP. Show your love. And um, make sure that you rate our podcast and give us five stars so that people can find us. Yeah, and if you won big money on the Trump NFT collection reinvest some of those proceeds into a premium membership <laughs> <laughs> all right guys this is episode seven thanks for joining see you later see you on the internet